welcome to Epiphany Fellowship's podcast, where our goal is to see people everywhere show off the glory of Christ in every area of life. We pray that you are blessed and encouraged by today's message and will allow the Word of God to dwell in you richly. Help me today. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Um, my, uh, <laughs> it's nothing like being really loved. Um, Jesus' love for you will hang with you. There are people that will leave you, divorce you, cut you off, never speak to you again, don't want to see you ever again. But Jesus has a relentless love for our crazy selves. That he just keeps on coming. We push him away. He keeps on coming back. We sin against him. He keeps on coming back. We curse him and he still keeps coming back. And as a matter of fact, he knew how we would treat him. And he still said, he still said, no greater life, no greater love than this, than one gives up his life. He called us something we weren't even yet, friends. Lord, help us today. What a wonderful relationship. What a wonderful relationship. And some of you are out there right now, I wanna let you know he's not through with you. He hasn't forgotten about you. He hasn't left you. Matter of fact, he's after you more than he's ever been, even at this point. Hallelujah. Well, let's go before the Lord in prayer and we will dig right in. Lord God, um, we honor you and thank you for your magnificent grace. The sufficiency of grace. And God, we never want to forget how great your love is for us. Sometimes it's easy to take your love for granted because it's always there. And so God, I pray that we wouldn't take your love for granted, but that we would embrace it more deeply. Lord, be with us, refresh us in this time. Let the words of my mouth Meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. You may be seated. Because we're topical today, you know we didn't have a reading, but we'll have plenty of readings during the course of the message. Um, there was a shopping mall, one of the largest shopping malls in the world that was built in Asia. And that shopping mall had some of the most beautiful shops in there. They sold Louis in there and Gucci and, and all kinds of stuff I can't pronounce. You know, Epitikatikatana and all of them. I don't know how to say it. Alexander McQueen, all that stuff. Just, just flyness. You know, um... And they had, in the basement, they had a, a, a beautiful jewelry shop where it was massive amounts of bling down there. 
But um, a guy came and he was just hanging out at the mall and going to the mall and something wasn't right because pieces of the ceiling of this massive, beautiful mall started falling down. And piece by piece started coming and piece by piece started coming. And then all of a sudden that jury spot in the basement started to shake and everybody started to try to excavate the place, <clears throat> but everybody wasn't able to. And the entire shopping mall with all of that beauty, with all of that enjoyment, with all of that regalia, with all of that name brand human furnishings fell to the ground. And when it fell to the ground, and of course, in, in, in any country, people would have first responders go out and respond to see what was happening and going on and make sure that they get as many people out of the rubble as quickly as possible. There were so many people there. It took them weeks to pull out the dead. So when their government got involved with this issue, they could not wrap their minds around something so large and seemingly sound would just collapse out of nowhere. And as they looked at the blueprints that the engineer had created, the person who engineered it didn't fortify the building's pillars properly. They just wanted to get something up really, really quickly because of how much money they were getting paid without the full meticulous care it took to make sure that something that was so uh, 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 massive would be built well so that it's not just money first, but safety first, stability first, being foundationally sound and structurally sound first. They just wanted to get some bread. And they prosecuted the engineer because of the engineer's insolence in the execution of the plan and everybody that was involved with pushing things forward. Well, many of our lives are like that building. Many of our lives have designer aesthetics to it. It's, it's, it's beautiful. You know, we always putting our best foot forward. You know, on social media, you, you can put a filter on your life. You know, you can put your best side on, on, on and do like this so that they won't see you know, this side, you know, you could do your headline like that to make sure your headline going over here, but you make sure to shake. In other words, you can really present yourself as a structurally sound person. Couples holding hands, smiling at each other, and it's trees behind them and fall leaves, and they have one of their fall outfits, and they're kicking the leaves and everything. And you looking at it, I wish my relationship was like that. Because that picture just said, man, the, the, I like their energy. That's how we say it. I like their vibes. You understand what I'm saying? You know, somebody out with their friends, uh, gang gang. You know, my team better than yours, right? But in all actuality, there are people in that picture that hate each other. After the picture, the spouse cussed each other out. And after that selfie, that person went to counseling. <laughs> Many of us don't tell the truth about where our life actually is. And many of us are constructing structurally sound lives because we're not using God's word to be the structural engineering mechanism and the blueprints for the building of our lives. And so I, I am stating that there's so much deconstruction because there's not proper construction. And when you have proper construction, you don't have to worry about deconstruction because 
proper construction, listen, can actually show that and, 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 and expose the lack of need for deconstructing. Uh, every time someone comes in that's an engineer and looks at our facility and they, 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 they see the aesthetic and we've gotten things better over the years, but, but, but when they go on the first floor and they see the concrete and steel that's on this floor and it's 38 inches of concrete and steel between each floor, um, they say, this is a structurally sound building. Why? Uh, because it's built well and this can be stripped and redone, but you never have to redo the post. In the pillars. You never have to redo the foundation because the first time it was built, it was built right. Somebody say built right. So deconstructing, what is it? Again, it's the process of reevaluating your core beliefs. If you haven't trucking with us, we're going through a reconstruction series, a deconstruction series about the faith. Reevaluating core beliefs. What's reconstruction? Reconstruction is the process of solidifying your core beliefs. We are going to Spend the next year as a church helping you to solidify. Somebody say solidify. Your core beliefs. That's what we want to do. How many of you want to be solidified and stable and sound and not emotionally, socially, spiritually, economically, comprehensively all over the place? How many of you tired of being all over the place? How many tired of a storm coming you break instead of bend? Let me just tell you right now that we need to work on what it means to get stable in our lives. So what are some pillars of deconstruction? And then we'll move back to where we were because remember, we're talking about reconstructing our faith, your faith, from last week. We didn't finish. What are some pillars of deconstruction? First pillar is the problem of evil and suffering. People struggle with that. They think that because God allows evil, God can't exist or he doesn't care. Human identity. This is a pillar deconstruction, gender and ethnic identity. We had, uh, I was looking at a video and they were laying out, uh, they were asking Gen Zers, how many genders are there? Now one person, and we're not beating anybody up, no one person said male and female. They, one person said six. I said six. In the beginning, God made them male. If you, I like my kids doing math. You know how you count math. What's three plus nine and you do your fingers? They talking about some, somebody said the answer. Um, somebody was saying there's, you know, there's our gender. There's, I was like, what is that? They was just naming these genders. And so again, if you're not, don't have any pillars in place, you're in trouble. Immoral desires is a pillar of deconstruction. The validity of the Bible, syncretism, church experiences, life experiences, leadership in the local church. So, so, so what are we looking at in relation to reconstructing our faith? We talked about all the deconstructing stuff. Now we're talking about reconstruction. Somebody say reconstruction. The first thing we talked about last week was inviting unbelief. That's what we talked about last week. Inviting unbelief. Somebody said, are you crazy? Yes. Invite unbelief. Because where there's a lack of structural soundness... Where there are cracks and issues, you want those exposed so that you can fortify them. Matter of fact, the house I live in will be 100 years old in a few, in about three years. And when I went in the basement and I looked up, there are these, these brand new pieces of beams connected to the old beams. And I didn't know what that was. And those beams that are connected to the other beams is called sister beams. And I didn't know that, that termites had ravaged the house way before we got it. 
And in order to keep the house structurally sound, it needed some sistering. They nailed newer, stronger wood next to the other wood to hold it in place so that the house wouldn't fall apart. Then they put some stronger steel beams up to hold up everything and connect it back to the foundation. That's what reconstruction does. Reconstruction is, is, is not necessarily tearing out everything that's there, but strengthening what is there that has been weakened by pain, that's been weakened by frustrations, that's been weakened by culture, that's been weakened by experiences, but then you need a pillar like the cross to reconnect you back to the foundation of your life. Not only that, the church must have a framework, we talked about this last time, so I'm not going to go back over, a clear framework for constructing the faith of disciples. Talking about church being clear on discipleship. Somebody say amen. amen. Next thing, we must now, we're at a new point, train disciples to be discerning. We need to train. Discernment isn't just the gift. Only a few people got the gift of discernment, not everybody. Discernment is something you have to grow in. Colossians 2.8. Let's look at it. Be careful that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deceit based on human tradition, based on the elements of the world rather than Christ. I love this because be watchful means to be vigilant and look out because, listen, expecting, listen, let me tell you something, expect deception. I'm by myself. Expect that the enemy is out to deceive you and expect it always to come in a form you like. Anything that lines up before you, 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 you engage, you, you got to have some discernment to make sure it ain't the enemy, but it's God. So that's why we got to be careful that no one takes you captive through philosophy. What's philosophy? A way of thinking. What's a way of thinking can be? There are positive ways of thinking, which is having the word rooted in you. False ways of thinking is a stronghold, right? It's a philosophy or empty deceit. What's interesting in our society, though, and what I run across as a leader at times, and y'all forgive me, but you know, Pastor, it got a little bit of Tourette's again today. You know, challenging people on how they are influenced by culture in a, in a, in a particular way. Um, let me see if I can... I can, I can um. Many times, with some of y'all... Bless the, bless the pastor. You're, 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 you're hard to challenge. Meaning, if, 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 if you get challenged, you get angry and call it judgmental versus edification and care. See, people have to be trained how to be discerning, because sometimes discernment isn't just you figuring it out on your own. Sometimes it's somebody in the body that, that, that noticed something and they're coming alongside of you to help you. I'm going to make it real plain in a second. Because the enemy 
is, is, is trying to cause leaders and people that aren't leaders or godly body members and other body members not to challenge each other because of the resistance that certain people have to be in challenge because they don't want to hear anything from anybody. They just want to discern on their own unless you're doing and telling them what they want to hear instead of getting what they need to hear in order to grow and be more discerning for themselves. And know what? I, and, a, and a scripture came to mind with, based on the two responses. Proverbs eight nine eight says, "Don't rebuke a mocker; he or she will hate you. But rebuke a, the wise person, and he will love you." Um, you know, you know. Um, I, I, I remember, I ain't, gonna, I ain't gonna point him out or anything. But but this was so dope. I said to them, I saw someone they post. I was like, ah, I saw something they posted. I was like, I was like. Should I, is, it going to, is this going to be one of those situations where I'm looking like the crazy judgmental leader? So now I said, you know what, yo. I said, whoa, 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 whoa. I'm not going to talk about the post. But I just said, whoa, whoa, whoa. I told them a little something about the post. And guess what they said? Thank you, pastor. I'll take it down. I said. I said, I haven't heard that in 10 years. I'll listen, pastor. Oh, God. I lost my mind. You know, but 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 you know, some of us, you 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 present yourself on social media based on a philosophy of the world. Now, don't be don't I don't want to get an email. You misogynizing. You object. No, you're looking a certain way. And some of y'all know what y'all doing, and then you put proverbs up there. Thirty one. Or Acts 6, First uh, uh, Corinthians 16, 13, act like men and all of that. You know, like, like, don't post your posterior and your pecs with a verse in your avatar. Like, like, just make your page a public platform. Remove Jesus from it if you're going to do that. All right? But don't involve Jesus with your confusion. Now, I don't care. You can unfollow me. You can get mad. But I love you enough to tell you to just stop it. Now, if you're a real Christian, you'd respond to it. But because you're carnal, you're mad, and you're going to be a hater, and you're texting someone already. Because you don't want to mature. You just really want to. See, this is what. See, see, see this is why some of us deconstruct. We de say some false deconstruction. Some of people that are being judgmental. No, they're challenging you to grow. So if you're going to be reconstructed, you can't be reconstructed by yourself. There was no building built by one person. And guess what? I get to be on the receiving end of it too. So I'm not talking about, the, I'm the pastor. I just tell you what to do. Don't tell me nothing. I talk to Jesus on the mountain like Moses. Like, nah. No, I have to, if a member came to me with a concern, and it was a biblical concern. I'll be like, you know what? You're right. And I've done it before. Amen. And so I'm, not, I'm talking, all of us are a mess in progress. But when we get captive, why is this so important? Because when you're, after, when you're captive to the world, when someone brings a biblical rubric your way, you resist it thinking it's judgmental versus being renewed in your mind in order for that particular thing to be flipped again. And that's how we all grow. That's how we all must grow. <laughs> and so, um, but also under this, under this idea of what Paul is saying, and disciples must learn to be discerning, um, the church must know 
what people in the congregation are dealing with and influenced by in order to help the people in the world to be equipped to fight those things. That, that, that's very important in how we disciple as a church, right? Because Paul always knew what was going on. In Athens, he, told, he quoted their poets. He says, your poets say. I like that. That's some fly stuff. Your poets say. You know, he even knew the frost prophets, what they were saying. And Titus, he said, Cretans, he, he quoted the Cretan prophets. And then to the letter to the Colossians, he, he, he responds to the spiritual systems that they're being influenced by. Why? Because the church has to, it's a partnering role. It's, 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 it's us as believers individually saying, hey, we want to make sure that our way of thinking and our way of doing things reflects God's biblical way of thinking and doing things. And then it's also saying, hey, can you help me to get equipped so that in the marketplace and where I am, I can be faithful to whether I'm an entrepreneur or my job, but I'm also faithful to Jesus, but I know how to walk those fine lines. I know what to say, when to say it, how to say it. Help me not to be a jerk and just talking about Bible in a meeting about getting a deal, but help me to know how to win. There's somebody at lunch that I can talk to and not punk out when there's an open door for the word, but help me to frame around how to respond to all of these different things. And that's what we need in our lives as believers. And so they're, they're, in, in our society, that's why some of the key things we have to help people through is religious pluralism. What is religious pluralism? Religious pluralism is the belief that there's no, there's no religion or spiritual ideology that's above another one and you can accept and all of them are basically the same. It's just a different path to the same place. And, but we know that our Bible says, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except by me. Somebody said to you, we worship the same God. Well, you say, okay, how do you know that? How do you know that? If you say we worship the same God family, tell me what the characteristics are of my God. Now, well, uh, I don't know many people that can answer that question. What's the characteristics of your God? And you should be able to know based on you as a believer, knowing the characteristics of your God. And you ask them, does the characteristics of your God is the characteristics of our God? And then he begins going through and we start talking. I said, well, let's, I, asked, I, had, a, I had a friend, we're not beating anybody up. I had a Muslim guy I was ministering to. He said, we, we basically worship the same God. I said, you, you, are you sure? And, and I said, now, there's ways in which I think that we can meet but let's see if what the Quran says about Allah is the same thing that can be said about Yahweh in the Bible. So he said, we personally worship the same God. I said, walk me, let's walk through a couple of things. So we started talking. I said, well, your Quran has Jesus calling himself a prophet only and him apologizing at his return for people worshiping him. But one day in the New Testament, like Jesus stopped the winds and the waves and they started worshiping him. So, and then usually in the Bible, when somebody gets worship, they say, stop, you're a man like me. But Jesus just was like this. He called himself the first and the last. Lord, have mercy. He said, I am the alpha and I am the Omega. I ain't going to do nothing. Y'all don't get on the organ. But he said, I'm all of that. And guess what? Those were qualities that God had. And so I said, does your Jesus in the Quran have the same qualities as the Jesus in the Bible? He says, no. I said, well, I love you and would love to talk more, but we worship two different gods characteristically. 
right? And so we as this, this is not merely our apologetics lesson. This is a stability lesson for you. Because we as believers have to be able to work. Another one, another key ideology uh, people are grappling with. Uh, 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 we talked about the breaking down of the family, gender identity. You know, um, you know now you're going to deal with stuff where people saying, what, what are you having? We haven't assigned an identity yet. Like y'all know that's, that's finna be new. I said finna. It's, it's about to be a new interesting. Our kids are going to be learning in context about other kids who says, don't call me a boy, don't call me a girl, I haven't decided my gender yet. So guess what? In reconstructing, we're reconstructing in a society that's reconstructing right now. It's deconstructing and reconstructing itself. Now, we have to know, we have to do two things. We have to know how to be trained to live in a world where the world gonna be the world. <laughs> you got, you got, but, how do you navigate and not always have to fight every time an issue comes up, but then what you ought to think? Because listen, Jesus didn't always answer and fight everything that was in front of him. Sometimes it said it wasn't his time yet. So many times, so, so some of us, we're so evangelistic, and there's nothing wrong with being an evangelist, that we're always trying to confront something, but some of us are so passive, we never engage anything, and some of us are so neutral, we're influenced by everything. Yeah. And so, and so in, in, in this society, I know it's scary being a Christian because rejection is coming. Let me properly prophesy to you. Jesus said to you, they hated him, they're going to hate you. We're entering a season where it's going to be harder and harder to be a biblical Christian. And, 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 and listen, and, and you have, that's why Paul is doing this in verse Colossians 2.8. <clears throat> He's trying to train Christians for the fact <clears throat> you can't blend this, you can't make yourself fit into society by blending what they're saying with what's in the Bible. You have to have the discernment and maturity to see the difference between what's out there and what's in here, but knowing how to function in the midst of all of that. And so, and so, and so, but the church, we have to train people for that. And we, and many of you people that are in the marketplace that are succeeding at this, you need to be discipling other people in the church to learn how to navigate that. How do you, if you're a professor, how do you navigate that as a professor in your classroom? That's very, very important. I'm by myself today. But next point, <clears throat> actively engage those who impose, oppose truth. Actively engage those who oppose <clears throat> True. So there is a time to actually talk to people about the faith. Jude 3, dear friends, love that. Although I was eager to write to you about the salvation we share, I found it necessary <clears throat> appealing to you to contend for the faith that was delivered to the saints once of all. Now, there's an inferential question that's going to keep coming up during every one of these points that comes up in this verse. Delivered to the saints once for all. Have all of us had the faith properly delivered to us? That, that's because if you haven't had it delivered, you can't convey it. You can't contend for what you haven't embraced. 
or you've had it delivered to you, but you don't listen to it. And so now what we have to do is contend. Contend is an interesting word. It means to struggle and to fight. That means sometimes my non-conflict people, you're going to have conflicting conversations. And so now we got to put our grown man and grown woman drawers on and britches on, as my grandmama would say. And we're going to have to learn how to at times have intensive conversations and possibly not be liked. Because, because contending demands sometimes that, and we're not trying to make enemies on purpose, but sometimes when you present truth, enemieship will come. I made up a word, enemieship. And so, and so, and so for us, we, we have to be willing to do that and able to do that on a level as a solid and healthy believer. Next point. Expect, and, and this is what we should expect out of people as a church. I love this one. Expect people to be authentically committed to Jesus. That sounds simple. There is an expectation that people should be committed to Jesus. Why do I say that? I know this is simple. I feel silly saying it. <clears throat> but the Bible says in John 15, in verse 1, in verse 2, in verse 5, in verse 8, <clears throat> I am the true vine and my father is the gardener. Verse 2, every branch in me <clears throat> that does not bear fruit, <clears throat> produce fruit, he that is the gardener <clears throat> removes, he prunes every branch that produces fruit so that it may produce more fruit. I am the vine, you are the branches. The one who remains in me and I in him produces much fruit because you can do nothing without me. My father is glorified by this, that you produce much fruit and prove to be my disciples. Over and over and over and over and over again, <clears throat> you, you need to highlight those verses. You need to highlight where it talks about bearing fruit. It talks about bearing fruit in general in verse two. Verse two. It talks about bearing much fruit in verse three, or more fruit in verse five, rather, and then much fruit in verse eight. In other words, there's an expectation that there is, and God has a divine expectation of there being progressive growth in your life. Whatever God plants, he demands and expects for that particular thing to grow. My, my, my wife uh, recently uh, went to the hairdresser. When she went to the hairdresser, um, when my wife gets something new and she ain't told me she was going to do it, she usually say, what you think? And I was like, it's cute, girl. It look good. And I really meant that this time. And so, <laughs> but I always believe that. And she, I said, why does she cut it down so low? And she was like, my hair was unhealthy. And I was like, oh, okay. So explain. So I, I'm getting a hair lesson. So we get something called split ends. And all the women say, yeah. And you got split ends. And what you have to do is where the last split is, you cut below it. So that it won't split down to the root and destroy everything that's growing. But you cut it off. And sometimes you have to cut off things that you don't want cut off. You've let it grow, you've let it get long, you dress it up, but it just keeps splitting and it's unhealthy. But in order for the growth to be maximized, you gotta cut it below the place that's causing the damage in order that maximum growth 
could take place. Sometimes the Bible says every, every branch of me that bears fruit, I prune it that it may bear more fruit. Some of the things in your life to maximize growth in your life, God is going to cut some people away. God is going to cut some situations away. Listen, there's some split ends and you like it because it, it, it has length in your life. But God says, I got to cut under it in order for you to maximize growth. And so guess what? God expects every Christian to grow into a full grown Christian. No one has a child and doesn't expect them to grow into an adult. No one plants a garden and doesn't expect everything in that garden to grow up and be healthy. Nobody does anything. Nobody starts a business and doesn't expect it to be grow. Nobody starts a ministry and doesn't expect it to be grow. To grow. Nobody develops relationships and don't expect it to grow. Nobody gets married and doesn't expect it to grow. Nobody in our life does anything and doesn't expect it to grow. So why in the world with the most important thing in our life, our spiritual life, that we would get in a relationship with Christ and just go to heaven but never expect to grow. So we expect it to grow. Because of that divine <coughs> expectation, what does growth look like? Growth looks like having fruit of growth. Fruit is an ID card. Fruit is an ID card to tell you who you are. <laughs> Whatever fruit you have is who you are. Right? And so there's an expectation of that. Next, <clears throat> consistently nurturing your spiritual life. Consistently nurturing, next one, your spiritual life. <laughs> in Revelation chapter 2, verses 1 through 7, particularly in verses 4 and 5, there is <clears throat> a verse here, two verses here that help us to really get this framed really, really well. It says, Jesus says all this great stuff, but he says, but I have this against you. You have abandoned the love you had first. He said, remember then how far you have fallen. Repent and do the works you did first. Otherwise, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. So look at what it says. Walking with God isn't just about you're doing for him, but you also have to be with him. So three things here. Remember in reconstruction, repent and repeat. Remember, that's what he told them, remember how far you've fallen, repent from what you did, and repeat the works you did at first. So that, so that, so that means now in our spiritual life, if you're going to reconstruct your life, you have to remember. Remember your salvation. Remember the foundational things if it's been taught. If not, go get to the remembering stage. Create memories. you got to create gospel memories. Those gospel memories help you to have not just the testimony of experience, but also the truth that roots that experience in the Bible that helps you to be stabilized in the faith. But then you repent for where you have gotten stagnant in your relationship with God because a lot of deconstruction starts with a lack of remembering, repenting, and repeating because when you get stagnant, the devil always opens a door for bootleg stuff when you're stagnant in your faith. And so when you're walking consistently with God in a, in, in a committed way with God, and all of us have dry seasons, and many of us have to learn how to press through those dry seasons. Many of us don't feel like we spend time with God unless we feel his presence. 
Now show me one place in the Bible where feeling God's presence is the reality of meeting with God. Or is it praying by faith and not knowing what's going to happen? Is it getting in the word and not knowing whether or not it got rooted? <laughs> you understand what I'm saying? Like, 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 like most of the most intense times of God's intimacy with people is when he feels like he's absent. Your absent moments are your greatest hugs from God. And so you keep pushing through those seats because we have an American, Americanized view. Did you do your quiet time? The Bible doesn't teach quiet time, by the way. It teaches all daytime. Oh, y'all not listening to me. <laughs> he said pray without ceasing. That sounded to me like I'm living in a constant state of prayer. My Bible says uh, God is near to the brokenhearted and those who are crushed in spirit. Brokenness means to live in a constant state of God neediness. The Bible says let the word of God richly dwell in you. <laughs> that's not a point in a day. That's a constant disposition of men. Because listen, there's some stuff that happened during my day where I need the Holy Ghost to resurrect some word in me. Some people done said something to me. Some people done done something to me. I need some help with me. So your devotional time is now, uh, now hear me saying this because people are like, oh man, I'm going to just wake up and go on with my day. I'm not saying that. See, that's how we... Help me. You can get up praying because in Psalm 3, David says, I, in the morning, I wake up early and I pray and I eagerly wait. So there is a sense in which there's points in the day, but then Daniel prayed three times a day. So are we doing one day, how many day? No, those are not written in stone things to do. It's just methods that are useful to making us be helpful of the fact that we have to do these things as a part of our spiritual regimen in order to keep ourselves on the path because my greatest sins and falls happen on that time, those times where I'm less than committed in my time with God as a way of the day. Not just at that point of the day, where I, felt, oh, I felt the warm fuzzy and a tear went down my eye and then I get up and I act like the devil. No, there's a sense <laughs> there's a sense in which the whole idea of remembering repenting repeating flows through the course of my day that's why Jesus say the spirit will bring back to your remembrance all the things that I've taught you so next know the difference between and this is going to be quick personal preference and biblical principles in Haggai 2-3 <coughs> in Haggai 2-3 it said, who is left among you who saw this house in its former glory? How does it look to you now? Does it seem to you like nothing by comparison? In other words, they were looking at this temple that they were building and it didn't compare to the old temple that was built. And they didn't believe that God could do through this what he did through that. And one of the things you got to understand when you walk with God is you cannot underestimate what God can do through something small. That's number one. But number two, stop letting your personal preferences be the only mechanism by which God can work. <laughs> and so we have to know, and this is the key to growing as a Christian, knowing the difference between our personal preferences and biblical principles is a key to our walk with God. And it helps you with your choices. There are things in your life that God will have you do seasonally that will not be your personal preference. 
And, 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 and why, why is this all, and this all is connected to the whole idea of reconstruction because most deconstruction, because most people, a lot of people deconstruct based on their personal preferences about something versus what God's truth is about something or hearing God's truth about it but not liking it because it doesn't sit well with them because they don't fully understand it. And a part of walking by faith with God is constantly some, sometimes, listen, this is key. God will meet you in your preferences. Matter of fact, he will allow you to show, show you that your preferences align with his biblical principles. And there are times when your preferences won't align with his biblical principles. That's why Paul says, I learned to abound and to abase. I learned to do with a lot. None of us want to be with little, but in, the, in that little time where he had less resources, he knew how to function as a mature Christian, not allowing the time where he had less resources to identify and be the identifier for the quality of the type of spiritual life that he had. Next, you have to learn and do. You have to learn and do. That, this is what I love about the New Testament. Look at Matthew chapter 9, verse 35 through 10, verse 1. It says, when he saw the crowds, he felt compassion for them <clears throat> because they were distressed and dejected like sheep without a shepherd. Look at this next part, verse 37. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is abundant, but the workers are few. Therefore, pray the Lord of the harvest to send workers into the harvest. Look at the next time. Summoned his 12 disciples. He gave them authority over unclean spirits to drive them out and to heal every disease and sickness. Why is this so important? Because one of the things in the church we have to do a better job of it's letting people know that you can learn didactically simultaneously and execute tactilely while you're learning didactically. What do I mean by that? Being under teaching, but also being the work. I think we, uh, when Jesus discipled, he taught them and he put them to immediate work on a level so that they are working out what they're learning at the same time. It's a, it, it, one of the things that's funny is I'm, I got a lot of friends that won't even hire a seminary student anymore. And they won't hire a seminary student, not because seminary students, uh, you, know, aren't, you know, can't do ministry, but a lot of people who only go to seminary, they learn Hebrew, they learn Greek, they learn a little bit of Aramaic, they learn church history, they, you know, they, they learn theology, biblical theology, sociology, they're reading Kierkegaard, and they're reading uh, Karl Barth, and they're reading Voss, and they're reading Walver, they're reading all of the, Wal they learn how to read exegetical comments. They learn how to read manuscripts, Alexandrian manuscripts, Western manuscripts, conflations of the Byzantine manuscripts. They learn how to do all of these different things and then can't help anybody in a ministry through a crisis. You learned all that and they get up in the pulpit, you don't understand what they're talking about. And the intellectual philabications at the top of the Greek coronet. Afterwards, you'd be like, what in the world is this? I, I don't know what's happening. You know, I remember when I first got out of seminary, the old digger used to say, you're going to have to make that plain, Reverend. You got to make that plain. He yelled it in the church. He was helping me. Make it plain, Reverend. I was 25. I thought I was still in the classroom. People was looking at me like this. It was like, and it was educated people in there. I was like, what the, what the world is he talking about? And so my pastor threw me in. He threw me in. The pastor time. He threw me in with the seniors. He said, this dude. He said, I got to put him with old people that can talk crazy to him. He'll still respect and he'll break it down. They taught me how to teach the Bible to adults. I knew how to do it with youth because they were youth, but I just would get with adults. And, and part of it was insecurity as well. 
but 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 they but they were helpful to me being able to do that. But what was he doing? He was saying he has the he has uh, the learning, but he needs the burning. That's that's what many of us need. Many of us have been in the church for years. And the reason why we haven't been on a a stout growth trajectory is because we're constipated with truth. And so and so and so in order for that to happen, you need you need an execution enema. You need to you need to start start working some stuff out. You understand? Work some stuff out. <laughs> understand what the pastor's saying today. You know, we, we got we, we got to do that. We got to do that in our life. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we're landing. We're landing. A biblically informed understanding of church. Yeah. Hebrews 10:25. Hebrews 10:25. It says, you can put that up there on the screen. Hebrews 10:25. Talking about <clears throat> Not neglecting to gather together. Stop. Stop. We're in a season where people are saying, I don't have to go to church now because I can, I can do. Like, that was supposed to be an abnormal time. The famine and issues in culture always cause there to be uh, some uh, ways in which we use not uh, ideal mechanisms of engagement. But you and I have no right to redefine church because of our view of it. So, 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 so we have to be, have a biblical form understanding of church. The, one of the biggest things that made the church the church was we are the church most when we gather. Did you know that? And there, and there are things that God won't do until some people, uh, we come together as believers. And as, it's, as some are in the habit of doing. So this ain't nothing new. Some of y'all saying, we need to go back to the early church. People were skipping church back in the day. But we always been a mess. And so it says some have made it a habit to not gather with the saints. I know some of y'all only come once a month. Y'all quiet. This is, don't try to say, with the pandemic, I'm talking about before it. I'm not talking about you got a job that takes you away. You just, like church is, and, and you are going to listen if you don't gather with the saints on a regular basis, you won't have affection for them. If you don't gather with the saints on a regular basis, there is, you can keep the scripture up there. There is a level, there is a level of your affection of God that won't be affected in healthy ways. Because there's sometimes I come to the gathering, all of us have come together and we don't feel like worshiping. You ever been there? And the, uh, and, but the worship started rising. You know, and Vernon may kick his leg like this, Pastor Vernon, go like that. And then, and then, and then, and then you hit Dr. Sue and say, you better go ahead. And then somebody over here say, hey! And then another person over there, hallelujah! And then you be like, oh, I'm, I feel God. Something happening. You, you ever had the environment and you like, you ain't feel like nothing, but the Holy Ghost start moving and you say, you, you start rocking. You ain't even from the traditional church. You start, you start going like this. And, and listen, that, that's because we are meant to come together to stir one another along to love and good deeds and, and you may hear something that wasn't even in a sermon it may have been an announcement or an exhortation in a worship time and, and the Holy Ghost just just sow something into you and you feel like going on listen you got to be around the faith it should not be a habit to not be in the gathering with the saints so what are what are some pillars of reconstruction what should we be seeing as pillars of reconstructing our faith? 
perspective and purpose of evil and suffering. Bible says count it all joy when you encounter various trials. Knowing that the testing of your faith produces to those who walk godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. Consider the fiery trial among you to not be something strange. Listen, your trial isn't a time for confusion. It's a time of commitment. Next, let God define human identity and dignity. Let God define some stuff. You understand what I'm saying? Um, you know, um, it, it was this, uh, this place that put screens back on phones in the mall. I cracked my screen. And I, 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 I was out of, I was out of, uh, I, I was going to go to, to the place, the place that I got it from to get it done. But I was going to go to this place so they could do it in a few minutes. And before the guy fixed my, was going to fix my screen, he says, you know that you could take this back to your manufacturer, but if I open this up, then your warranty is gone out because the manufacturer does have a way of fixing it. But see, I was trying to take it to some second party services and I was going to lose my insurance because of going there. Listen, we have to let God define stuff in our world. Next, what, what, what is a pillar of reconstruction? Moral absolutes. Yes, there is right and wrong. Yes, there is. There's no such thing. As I understand, that's your truth. Jesus is your, no, he's the truth, not a truth. He's not a way. He's not a option. He is the truth. Yes, I still believe that having sex out of marriage, out of marriage is wrong. I still believe that marriage is between one person born a man and one person born a woman like am I going to love you yes but you're not going to make me change God's standards for you it's not going to happen the reliability of the Bible I stand on the word of God you got to stand on this word the word of God is alive and active, sharp than any two-edged sword, dividing both the joints and the marrow, even the soul and the spirit. It's alive and active. You, whether you know it or not, when the word of God goes forth, a sword is open in the spirit realm and stuff is happening. <laughs> um, another one, a pillar, is gospel loyalty. God, I'm here. Listen, God, long as you keep me, that was my prayer. I don't know if you ever prayed that. You've been real discouraged and you thought some crazy things. Oh, I'm by myself. And you say, Lord, the way this is going to work well, you keep me, I stay. Listen, 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 I'm just telling y'all, don't get no simpler than that. That's a pillar. There has to be a pillar in your soul. That's why Jesus is apart from me. You can do nothing. Um, another one, a pillar, has to be church endurance. I didn't say cult endurance. 
I didn't say unhealthy, nasty, trifling, non-church. I'm talking about healthy church endurance. Do you endure with the church? Okay. Next, seeing all life through the lens of scripture. This, this is how you reconstruct well. How do I use scripture? Next one. Try, just try this stuff. I just want you to try it. Next one. Healthy church choices and leadership accountability. That, that helps with reconstruction. And last, living in the tension of mystery and knowing only part of things. Listen, there's some stuff God ain't going to never tell you. There's some stuff he will, and there's some stuff he'll tell you in time. But is God not telling you a deal breaker? Let me just tell you something. Don't always make your faith a deal breaker. Don't make something that happens a deal breaker. God, listen, listen. If God treated us like we treated him, like something was a deal breaker, he'd have thrown us out a long time ago. But God is, do you, I just want to let you know this is a close. God is committed to you relentlessly committed to you, unapologetically committed to you. Even though the enemy rails against you day and night, God is committed to you and you're crazy. Somebody should be happy about that. But in order for any relationship to work, you got to be present for it. And so our prayer as we reconstruct and we'll be Get ready to close the series as I'm praying that you would take these things and begin to make them a part of the matrix of your life and do them with or don't half try it. You know, sometimes I have my kids do something. And they say, I tried it. And he's like, I just saw you. you what was that? Right. And, and, and when they throw themselves into it, they really, really have an experience. I remember, my, uh, they was, one of them was scared of the, the, the bouncy thing we got outside, the, the trampoline, and they didn't want to jump too much. And I said, if, I said, listen, you got to jump, jump. If you do like this, you're just going to go, bip, bip. I said, but you got to jump. And she jumped, boom, and went up, and she just laughed. I said, see, the same amount of pressure you put in it is the same response you'll get from it. That's why God says, if you draw near to me, I will draw near to you. I'm done. Only you, Lord, are the one who, even our drawing to you is motivated by you. That's what's so amazing. Lord, thank you for your matchless grace. Lord, maybe there's someone here today. They said, as I looked at these things today, first off, either one, I, I, I realized that there's more to the faith of Christianity than I really thought. There's a lot to this. Um, um, and there's a lot of beauty to it. But the thing that I'm, you may be saying I'm connected to is the fact that God demonstrated his own love for me that while I, was a, while I am a sinner, a person that is wrong and does wrong, <laughs> um, that he died for me in order to be with him. That's a beautiful thing that God loves us no matter what. If you're here today and you want to place your confidence in Jesus, hold your hand in the air.
and and we want to talk to you about Jesus even more. Trusting Jesus for the first time. Anyone? Hand out. Anyone? Yeah. Thank you. I'm going to have somebody talk to you. Anyone else? Mm-hmm. Greatest decision we can make is confidence in the sun. What a beautiful sign. Lord God, thank you for the faith that we get to go and experience life in you and that you are a keeper. You say he or she who endures to the end will be saved. Lord God, help us not to take persevering with you for granted and persevering for you for granted. Although it's not, it doesn't merit us salvation. It is a response and reality of being saved. In Jesus' name. Let us prepare our hearts and minds for communion. If you, if you want to take the elements, I want you to hold it up if you don't have, I mean, well, hold your hand up if you um, want to receive the elements, if that's you. Anyone in the balcony on the floor? Everybody seems to have received it. And so let's stand together. Let's stand together. Yes. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took the bread. He gave it to his disciples and said, this is my body that is given for you. Let us eat together. After the Passover meal, he took the cup. And he said, this is my blood. The blood of the new and everlasting covenant, which is shed for you and for many for the remission of sins. Let us drink together. Father God, build us up. Thank you for those who are here. Thank you. That's what you want us to be like in this season. Thank you for those who are here, who are showing up and who want to grow. Thank you for the new members that are coming in. Thank you for those who are saying, I, I, I want to be, I want to be built up in my faith. Stable Lord, I, I believe you're giving us a strong group of people in this season. I, I really do. And I believe you're showing us who the strong are so that we can take the city for your namesake with other solid ministries. God, we want to see your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Strengthen the sick, strengthen the weak, fortify the confused, confirm the loyal and strong. <laughs> 
And Lord, help us to look forward to you returning. It's getting pretty messy down here, Lord. <laughs> and I know there's a lot of things I want to do on earth. Um, but it sure would be nice for the crack, the start, the sky to crack, the crack. And you to come on through. I, it, I, I'm, not, I'm not opposed to you coming back, God. And um, because yeah, I mean, you promised you'd rescue us. So we're looking forward to the blessed day. Like the old church that say that great getting up morning. We got some sick people in the church, and they're gonna get new bodies one day. <laughs> we got some broken hearts in the church. They're gonna get mended one day, Lord God. We got some folk that got that that that, that need counseling and just getting counseling. And God, you're gonna give us a new mind. And so for all our suffering and all of our frustration, God, you refresh. But until then. Help us to hold to the bloodstained banner and to stand strong in you and to wait on you with great hope, expectation, fervency, and resilience. Now unto him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless before his throne with exceeding gladness and joy. To him, our God and Savior, be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus forever and ever. And everybody agree with that said? Amen, 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 amen. God bless you, God bless you. Hello, this is Dr. Eric Mason, founder of Passive Epiphany Fellowship. Thank you for tuning in today. Hopefully the word of God was a blessing to you. Also, if you want to help us build the kingdom from Philly and beyond, particularly in inner cities, partner with us today. And if you don't know Jesus as Savior, based on his death, burial, and resurrection, place your confidence in him and go from spiritual death to spiritual life. Tune in next time so we can see you go from spiritual infancy to spiritual maturity. God bless you. Take care. We love you. We love you.